right, come on, good morning, Go Church family. How you feel today? You feel good? Come on now. Can I hear anybody make some noise in this room? Let's go. There we go. Hey, I, I know you've been greeted already at whatever campus you're part of today, but I want to make this a personal welcome on behalf of myself and my wife, Kimberly. Thanks for being at Go Church today. For those of you in this room, you're a part of our South Metro Atlanta campus. We actually have three campuses, a part of the Go Church family plus online. So you're at our South Metro Atlanta campus. This is our broadcast campus, and we have the honor and the privilege to live stream to our West Side Atlanta campus. So we greet all of you on the West Side of Atlanta, and then also we live live stream to our Germantown, Maryland campus family, and then we get to live stream all around the world thanks to Facebook and the website and technology. So whatever campus you're a part of today, whether you're in person or online, how about as one big happy Go Church family, we put our hands together and greet one another. Come on, let's do that well. Here we go. Come on, let them hear you from the south side. Come on, let's go. I love it. And then you know this, if you've been a part of Go Church for any period of time, we've got this tradition that we do before we get into the message where we pause to give honor to the brave men and women that serve in the military and all of the unbelievably courageous first responders. So if you're at a, a, at a physical campus today location and you serve in the military, you have served in the military, or your job considers you to be a first responder, I want you to put your hand up in the air real loud, real proud, and then everybody, come on, can we thank these brave men and women? Come on, of all the applause of appreciation for a group of people. Thank you, thank you. Come on, five more seconds here. Come on. West Side, Germantown in this room. God bless you. Thank you. And then just one quick announcement because we've been making this announcement for about a month now. But we've got our Man Up Conference coming this upcoming Friday and Saturday, okay? So, and I'm not just saying this to try to get rid of the remaining spots. But we only have a few spots left, fellas. And registration is going to close about midnight tonight. So I need, I need you to get signed up, okay? We've got about 20 spots left here uh, at our South Metro Atlanta location. And then, of course, in Germantown, they're having man up as well. They got, just, they got less than that available. So if you've been waiting to the last minute, this is the last minute. Come on, somebody. So I want you to get signed up, and it's going to be great. I promise you guys, it's going to be a phenomenal weekend. It's Friday night and then half day Saturday through lunch. I'd love for you to be a part of that. If for any reason money is an issue, just stop by Next Steps. Let somebody know we're going to help you to get in. We don't ever want money to be a reason why you can't participate. And so I hope that you can make it, fellas. I promise you, we're praying over this event, fasting over this event. Great preparation has gone into this conference, and it's going to be life-changing. So for those of you that are not participating uh, be, because, you know, you a woman, come on now. You can partner with us in prayer, right? So we'll be praying for the guys next week. I'm believing for the power of the Holy Spirit to fall next weekend and that God will just grip the hearts of men and that will take back our place of spiritual authority and leadership. And I'm, I'm excited for the weekend, so get signed up for that. And then, most of you know this, but today is a big day in the church. And not just in Go Church, but the big C Church all around the world. Today is Pente Pentecost Sunday. And while I'm not going to do a message necessarily on Pentecost Sunday or the Holy Spirit, the message I am going to preach, I need the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I do want to just touch a little bit on the purpose of Pentecost. So after the resurrection of Jesus, he walks the earth for 40 days. He does miracles, signs, and wonders. And before he ascends to heaven, he gets the disciples together and he gives them a great commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, in order to do the great commission, you need to wait for the gift that my Father has promised which lets us know that the purpose for your life, the purpose for my life, my life is far greater than my own or your own ability or strength. 
And he was talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the disciples, they get together in the upper room and for 10 days, for 10 days, they begin to pray. And in Acts chapter two, verse number one, you see that the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit fell like tongues of fire. They begin to speak in an unknown language. Peter comes out of that meeting, out of that revival, out of that Holy Spirit experience. He stands on the balcony of a two-story apartment building and he preaches the gospel. And thousands of people get saved and baptized. And the Bible says that Christ has been adding to the church ever since. Now, Go Church is a Pentecostal church. We're a charismatic church. We believe in the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. So while I'm not going to do a message on the Holy Spirit today, I do want you to put something in your calendar. Uh, For some time, the Holy Spirit has been really, I think, convicting my heart to teach more about the person and the power and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. So twice a year, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. We do that every January, and then we do that in August. However, this August, we're going to do something just a little bit different, and we're going to do three nights called Deeper Nights. This is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, August 1, 2, and 3. And these three nights specifically will be messages on the power and the purpose of the Holy Spirit with an invitation for those who have a desire to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Now, I go, somebody should have said amen. Some Pentecostal should have said amen right there. Now, I go church, uh, we, this is what we teach. We teach that the Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. Come on now. Look at somebody next to you. I think he's talking right about you. Go ahead. So we, we don't do weird, but we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. So deeper nights are going to be specific to the teaching and the preaching and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to put that on your calendar, okay? And then today, the reason you came is to hear a word. We're in week number four of this series called Ask Away. And you drive the content of this, really. You drive the conversation. We gave you that Easter survey you know, about seven weeks ago, one of the questions on the Easter survey was, I'd like to hear a message about, or I'd like to hear a conversation about, and we gave you a variety of topics, and we've, we've taken five weeks, this is the fourth week, next Sunday will be the fifth and final week of Ask Away, and we're going to cover all of the top five most selected areas of choice. And so today, I hope you're ready for this, we're going to talk a little bit about hot topics. I want to hear a message on hot topics. And so I'd love for your prayers today. I've been praying over this message. I've been fasting over this message. I believe that the Lord has a word for all of us today, but I covet your prayers, okay? So whatever campus you're a part of today, including everybody in this room, can we just take a moment, invite the Holy Spirit into this conversation, every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's take seven, eight, nine, ten seconds here of just kind of a, a, a meditate. Let's remove distraction and let's ask God for clarity of thought and focus. And after about 10 seconds, I'll offer a prayer. Okay, you ready? Come on, let's just concentrate here. Lord, I thank you for your word, which never returns void. And today, as we dive in really to the deep end of some hot topics, I'm praying for an anointing on this message And on this moment, maybe even greater than ever before, we're living in a very divisive time and there's a lot of opposition against Christianity and the church. But for those who are in the faith, we're going to stand on your word and your word alone. 
So today, I echo the words of the Apostle Paul where he says, For I do not speak with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. Give me power today. Power to preach with grace and power to preach with truth. And may this word not fall on deaf ears, but may it penetrate right to our heart, reveal some things to us, and turn us to a true, genuine relationship with you. I give you thanks for the freedom that we'll find in your word and in this message. And we pray this in the most powerful name, the name of Jesus. And the whole church said, amen and amen. We've clapped a lot today, but now can we just honor the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Come on. Come on, if he's good to you, can you say thank you, Jesus? All right, everybody, I want you to take something uh, to write notes with. So if you're at a physical location, there's a message note card and a seat near you, and I really want to encourage you to do that today. Everybody take some notes here. I think that this message will not only be beneficial for you and maybe even challenging for you, but depending on the the dynamic of home and uh, work and school, some things that the Holy Spirit could reveal to us today could provide benefits in those conversations that really all of culture and society are having. Now, I want to preface our conversation with a thought here And it's not to, you know, because I'm intimidated by the talk that we're going to have, but I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Today's going to get a little messy, and somebody's probably going to get offended, okay? And here's what you need to know is that the gospel is actually offensive. Jesus and his truth is very offensive. And here's what I mean by that. Whenever you read the Bible, the Bible confronts us. It's confrontational. It confronts our sin. It confronts our selfish ambition. It confronts our choices. And it requires us to change. And change is offensive. When somebody tells you you got to change, that's offensive. So the gospel is offensive. Now, yes, the gospel is full of truth and grace and salvation and mercy. But the gospel is all about repentance. And so whenever God calls us to repent, he's confronting our sin, and we can find offense in that. Uh, Let me show you a place in the Bible here where Jesus kind of addressed this very thought. In John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He then walks on top of water. Come on, somebody. And then he declares that he alone is the bread of life. That the only way that you can come to God is through him. He's He's the only way. He's the bread of life. And some of the religious people, some of his disciples, they, they begin to grumble about this. And they say in John chapter 6, uh, the, the, the last third of that chapter, they say, wait a minute. How can this Jesus be the bread of life? Isn't he the son of Joseph and Mary who we know? How can he be the son of God? And Jesus becomes aware of the grumbling and he says, does this offend you? Is what I'm saying, is the truth of what I'm saying, is it offensive to you? And then watch what happens. And this is how I was able to memorize this verse because it's John 666. Come on, somebody. (laughs) In John chapter 6, verse 66, and from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So the gospel can be offensive. The other thing I want to preface this conversation with is this. If you try to approach the message today, if you try to process what you're hearing, and what you're reading, because I'm going to give you a lot of Bible. If you try to process and understand that through your 
politics or you try to process this through uh, the lens of legislation, you're going to be aggravated. Now, we've got a beautifully diverse church at all of our campuses. We have people in Maryland on the west side, on the south side of Atlanta. And guess what? We have people that find themselves on the political uh, side of Republicans and Democrats. And we even have some that just say, you know what? I'm just, I'm, I'm independent. And if you do that, you're going to stay frustrated because at the end of the day, watch this, Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus is not a Democrat. Come on, somebody. Christianity is not nationalism. Jesus is Lord. Come on, can you say amen? And that's it. So no matter how hard you try as a Republican or a Democrat to fit Jesus into your political box, it ain't going to happen. I tried to think of a joke to tell you about Republicans and Democrats to lighten the mood. And then I just thought, well, they're both jokes. Come on, somebody. So that's funny. I don't care who you are. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is all about the kingdom. Jesus is not interested in American culture. Jesus is concerned about kingdom culture. Jesus is not fretting about American politics. He's focused on kingdom politics. And Jesus is Lord. So you have to step off of your political soapbox for a moment and realize that Jesus is Lord and he's all about his kingdom. Some people came to Jesus and they asked, so, so of, of everything going on, what, what is the most important commandment here? And we know this. The greatest commandment, Jesus says, is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And then he says, and the second is equally important, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is even, even in the greatest commandment, uh, and the second one being equally as important, we see that Jesus is far above our politics because politics doesn't genuinely love people. Jesus calls us to genuinely love people. Can I get an amen from somebody? So when I think about the vision of Go Church, our vision statement comes directly from the greatest commandment. The name Go Church comes from the great commission, therefore go, but the vision of this house comes from the greatest commandment. So this is what we say. Go Church exists to love anyone from anywhere into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, that's too long to put on a bumper sticker, so we summarize it by saying, at Go Church, we love people to life. We love people to life. And I don't know how long you've been attending, some of you longer than others, some of you have been here a while, some of you are new, but I can tell you one thing about Go Church, we genuinely love people. Uh, we love people. This is a judgment-free zone, and when you walk into a campus, you should feel loved. Can I get an amen from somebody? But what culture and society has done is they've tried to redefine the definition of love. So this is where now we transition to a little bit harder of a, of a conversation here. And I want you to see kind of where my heart is. True Christian love, true godly love is not tolerance of sin. It's not acceptance of sin. And it's not approval of sin. Nor is true Christian love mean. And judgmental. Watch this. That's Jesus on the main line. Come on, somebody. But true love 
is loving someone to the point of being willing to tell them the truth even if the truth is hard. So even if the, even if the, the truth is hard, it's a hard truth, you love someone enough to tell them whatever it is. You're gonna, go, you're gonna step out on the ledge and say, okay, I love you enough to tell you the truth because truth sets us free. Now this message is for everybody, regardless of where you find yourself on the faith uh, spiritual spectrum. No matter where you are in your faith journey, whether you've been a believer for a long time, like you've been a Christian a long time, like you were on the boat with Noah. Come on, you just like love God, you've been around a long time. Or you're brand new to church and brand new to faith and all of this is new or, or maybe you're skeptical of God, you don't believe in God. This message is for everybody, okay? So here's a question, it's rhetorical, meaning you don't answer aloud, but it's a question for everybody as we dive into the conversation around hot topics is, What's the basis of your morality? How do you base your morals? Now, what is morality? Morality is ethics. It's values. It's your standard of living. It's what you believe to be right and what you believe to be wrong. So what is the basis of your morality? Where do you get your morals from? Now, I'll talk to two groups of people today. First, let's talk to the group of people that you don't believe there's a God or you don't believe in God or you've not made God or Jesus the Lord of your life. And then I'll talk to the people that have said yes to Christ, okay? So for those of you that you don't believe in God, you you don't believe that there is a God, how do you come up with your morals and convictions? Where does that come from? Because if there is no God... If there is no supreme being with higher, higher standards of morality than human opinion and judgment, then where does your morals come from? And here's the truth, and this is probably going to be a little offensive, but you got to make it up. You, you have to allow your definition of morality, watch this, to evolve, and that can evolve based on your family upbringing and how your family raised you. That can happen from, you know, culture and society and environment and, you know, relational influence. But watch, if, if, if your morality is subjective, so I have subjective morality, then you're declaring there is no absolute truth. So you would say... The only absolute truth is that there is no absolute truth. And so watch this, and this is what's happening with society today, is that we have people that have subjective morality, and their definition of morals and ethics and values and standards, it evolves over time. And so the needle of their morality continues to move and shift. And what was once a conviction is now no longer a conviction. So if you don't have God, if you don't believe in God, then where does your morals come from? But to the people in the room or those listening online that you have made this declaration, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. Now, if you say that, and the majority of the people listening today, this is where you fall into this particular category. You've made a declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. When you call him Lord, when you confess that he is Lord, Lord is far greater than just a title of honor and respect. 
Lord is a declaration that he is the supreme authority. That one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Does that make sense? And you are saying that he is sovereign and there is no one above him, even our own opinion or thought. And so now all of a sudden when we say Jesus is Lord, we put him as the headship of our life and we must submit to the will and the way of the Lord. If you're still with me, somebody say amen. amen. Now, you know this about me. I love golf. I love it. I was reading the Bible the other day, and I read in there that there will be golf in heaven. Come on, somebody. <laughs> this is the Catholic Bible. <laughs> That's a joke. It's a joke. I love golf. Uh, this is a few weeks ago. Uh, this, this particular golf course is uh, the Ledges out in St. George, Utah. And this is just me owning the moment. Come on, somebody. I'm just standing up there. If you're wondering if I'm a good golfer or a bad golfer, this picture will, will give you the answer. I'm facing the wrong direction of the green. Come on now. <laughs> but I, I love golf. I've been playing golf last month, May, was three years. Like really all in. Like, you know, taking lessons and playing consistently. And I've got more equipment and more golf shoes than Dick's Sporting Goods. Come on, somebody. Like... I've been playing golf for three years, and I love it. Now, when I decided to officially become a golfer, a bad one, but I decided to officially become a golfer, I agreed to play by the rules of golf as defined in 1744 and enforced currently by the USGA, the United States Golf Association. If I want to play golf, I have to play golf by golfing rules. If I show up to the course and I go to tee off and instead of using my driver, I use a slingshot, I'm disqualified from golf. I've now created my own sport. It's no longer golf though. I don't get to get to the green, okay, and instead of putting the ball in, roll my ball in. That's illegal and I'll be penalized and disqualified. So if I'm going to play golf, I have to play golf by the golfing rules. If you didn't hear anything else, I hope you heard that. Come on, somebody. So when you say Jesus is Lord, you don't get to make up the rules. You don't get to decide what you want to do and what you don't want to do. If it's in the book, it's his word. And if we say, I feel like preaching today. If it's in the book, then we've got to live according to the book. Now, when you decide to get out of the word of God and the will of God, you're no longer playing by the Christian rule book. You're doing your own thing. So if we say Jesus is Lord, we believe that there is an absolute truth. So our morality is not objective or subjective. Our morality is objective. We believe that Jesus is Lord. And that his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And he's more powerful than any president. Come on, somebody. He's more powerful than any elected government official. He's more powerful than any king or queen. And we must bow to the authority of the lordship of Jesus. Let me say it as plain as I know how, all right? You don't get to play by your own rules. We don't. So if Jesus is Lord, then we stand on this verse. 2 Timothy 3.16, 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And here's what the word of God is for. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. You can take a picture of this real quick or write fast. Doctrine teaches us what is right. Reproof teaches us what is wrong. Correction teaches us about the consequences of doing the wrong thing. And instruction teaches us how we can live righteously. So God gives us his word for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction. Now, I don't even think I've really gotten into the deep end of being offensive just yet. But when we get there, and we will, you can be offended by me, and you can shoot me an email. But I didn't write the Bible. There are things in the word of God that regardless of opinion or judgment or politics, we don't get to move the needle on that morality. And here's what's happening. And, and this isn't new to us, but the, the church is under great cultural opposition. Western Christianity is under great cultural opposition. And here's what's happening. Society and culture today, especially against the Western church, culture is portraying the church and culture is portraying the Bible and culture is even portraying being a follower of Jesus is not merely irrelevant, but you're dangerous. You're a threat. Uh, let me give you an example. So if you don't, if you're, if you're not for the LGBT community, you're homophobic. Well, if you're not pro-choice, then you're narrow-minded. Let me tell you this. God and Go Church, neither are we homophobic or narrow-minded. God's word, though, paints for us very clearly about where his stance is. And this is nothing new. Go back to the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 3. Which, by the way, there's three hot topics we'll talk about. Uh, abortion, homosexuality, and racism, the sin of racism. That's where we'll go here in just a minute. Go back to Daniel chapter 3 for a moment. Walk back to Daniel chapter 3. You see King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue to himself and requires everyone to bow down. Three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow to the king's orders. And they said, look, and Nebuchadnezzar changed their language, changed their literature, changed their names, and tried to get them to change their faith. But they finally stood in opposition to the king's orders, and they refused. And so the threat was, we'll throw you in the fire. Guess what Nebuchadnezzar did? He threw them in the fire. And guess what happened when they got in the fire? The fourth man showed up in the fire with them. God rescued them. And now here we are today. In 2022, uh, June the 5th, three people just walked out, by the way. And we've got a choice to make. Will we bow to cultural opposition? Or will there be a remnant of people that can live in truth and grace and say right is right, wrong is wrong, and this is where we get our morality from? So I think about Acts chapter 5. Watch this. Uh, Peter and the apostles said to, to, to the group of people that were trying their preaching, they said, look, we got to obey God. Rather than man, we have to obey God. And I love all of you, and I thank God for all of you. But when I die, I will stand before God. And you know, and I'm, I want to say this very carefully, but 
how God will handle the way I lived my life is going to be at a degree much greater than others because he called me to be a preacher of the gospel. To be a deliverer of his message. And I think in the Big C Church and even here at Go Church, we've done a really bad job of all these self-help sermons and these let's get happy sermons. How about one day we just talk about holiness? Just one day. One day we just talk about holiness. I'm going to stand before God one day and so will you. And watch this. If, if, if your morality is subjective, okay, just listen, food for thought. But if Jesus Christ is Lord, if, if, he's, if he's sitting on the throne of your heart, it's in this book. All right, are you with me? If you're with me, say I am. All right, so here's the first one. I'll, I'll give you like our official stance on the first hot topic, which is abortion. And I want to preface it with this. If you're a part of Go Church today, whether you're in person or online, and you have had an abortion, you have to hear me. We love you. Tremendously love you. And not only do we love you, but we're here for you. I cannot imagine the the grief and the pain and the trauma and the emotions of that decision and how you define that decision. I can't imagine what you must have experienced and what you had to walk through. So if, you, if you've had an abortion, listen to me, we love you. And you're sitting in a room full of people that were also lost and without God and full of sin. The Bible says in Romans that we have all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Every, look at somebody and say, you're a sinner. Go ahead and tell them. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. So if, you, if, you've, if you've ended up like executing through the process of abortion. And we love you. My frustration with so many churches, and I'm not responsible for any of them, just this one, is that Christians and churches will cry, abortion is murder, but then we provide no hope or solution or opportunity. Listen, we've got to do more than just scream, abortion is murder. Open up the doors and let's help some people. Let's help some families. Let's provide ways of opportunity for them. So let me, let me give you, here it is, and they'll, they'll make this large on the screen because I don't want, we live in a soundbite culture, so I'm going to give you the whole definition. So when they're like, well, he said, what I really said is right here. God alone confers life. So God alone must decide when it is to be ended. Psalm 31, 14 and verse 15. Because a human fetus is sacred and blessed of God, we believe that we have the responsibility to protect the life of the unborn. Psalm 139, 13. I'll come back to that in about 30 seconds. Jeremiah 1, 5, Luke 1, 41. It is our firm conviction that life begins at conception and that abortion and euthanasia of aged, let's go here too while we're at it. Euthanasia of aged, mentally incompetent, terminally ill, and otherwise handicapped for reasons of personal convenience social adjustment or economic advantage are morally wrong. Okay, come back to me on the screen for a moment. You've probably had time to write that down. I told you that culture, I don't know why that was funny, but go ahead and laugh. (laughs) I told you that culture continues to not just make Christianity irrelevant, but we're dangerous. And so now you'll see that all of this on the conversation of abortion continues to evolve and evolve and evolve and evolve. I read on Facebook the other day, someone, you know, say, well, um, you can't find the word abortion in the Bible. Okay, noted. 
the actual word abortion is not in the Bible. Now, thou shalt not murder is in the Bible. So how we define when life begins, I guess we would have to debate, unless Jesus is your Lord. Because watch this, Psalm 139 verse 13 is not just, let me show it to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So this is far more than just a poetic imagery written by the psalmist. Here we discover, write this down, it's not on the fancy TV, but write it down. Here we discover that the womb matters. What happens in the womb and who is in the womb matters. Let's go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 25. The, the Lord said to Rebekah when she was pregnant with twins, Jacob and Esau, what did the Lord say to her? Two nations are in your womb. Go to Judges chapter 13, verse number seven. And here you see in Judges, you see the angel of the Lord come to Samson's mother while she's pregnant. And the angel said to his mother, behold, you'll conceive and give birth to a son and, and you're pregnant. So don't drink any wine, don't drink any strong drink, don't eat any unclean thing, for the boy will be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Why? Because the womb matters. Watch this, listen to me. When Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist and Elizabeth uh, encountered Mary, the Bible says in Luke chapter number one, verse 41, that Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting and the baby leaped in her womb. I wish I just have a hundred people that would encourage the word that's happening today. Come on. In the womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You go to Jesus. Jesus' mother Mary was con conceived by the Holy Spirit, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. Listen to me, that child in your womb is because of God's favor. Every gift comes from our father above. So behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son and you shall name him Jesus. The womb matters. It matters. And you need to know that, that God creates life. God values life. And if we say that Jesus is Lord, then we must submit to that morality and understanding that we don't get to decide when a life begins or when a life ends. Okay, let's keep getting offended. Come on, somebody. <laughs> the topic of homosexuality. Now listen to this. If you're here today and you struggle with same-sex attraction, or maybe you struggle with gender identity, and we love you. We love you. We're here for you. I wanna, I wanna help you. I wanna pray with you, counsel with you. Here's our stance on homosexuality. The truth found in scripture is that God's design for sexuality is for one biological man and one biological woman to enter into marriage before engaging in sexual activity. Homosexuality, along with every other sin of sexual immorality, is in direct opposition to God's perfect design for our lives. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, and Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 32. Some weeks ago, I had coffee with someone that used to attend the church. I guess they didn't like my response, so they left. 
And they handed me a note card, and on the note card it said, what will we do about all the gays in worship here? I didn't understand that. What what does that even mean? Listen, it is not my job to turn a homosexual into a heterosexual. It's my job to turn people's hearts to Jesus. Jesus does the work. Listen, irregardless of the sin, and we all got it, everybody's welcome at Go Church. Everyone is welcome here. I think that's a great place to, amen to that. What are we going to do about the gays in worship? Pray for them. Let them be here. I have never one time in my life gone to a hospital because I felt good. I go to a hospital because I'm sick. This is not a country club. Not a social club. It's a hospital for hurting people, for broken people, for sick people. I, I'm, listen to me. I'm call, and we'll, we'll go back to this particular hot topic. But I call in drug addicts. Come on and worship here. I call in people that struggle with all kinds of sin. Come on and worship here, including homosexual. I'm not going to try to get you, you know, to be attracted to the opposite sex. I'm just going to try to get you to be attracted to Jesus and let Jesus do the work in you. I'm not, well, you must be homophobic. Wrong? No, wrong. We love people. But if we say Jesus is Lord, then that is the basis of our morality. That has to be the foundation of everything we do. Or our morals evolve. And listen to me, and it's dangerous. Evolving morals, they're dangerous. Now, you get, to, you get to process and consider this conversation, which is from God's word. And the Bible says you work out your own salvation. But ain't nobody in this room perfect, including your pastor. Far from it. Okay? This is a room full of people that are broken, and we all need a Savior. And we know that it's Jesus. So no matter what you're going through, what you're walking through, you're a welcome here at Go Church. And I stand on that wholeheartedly. And listen to me. Watch this before you clap. And God loves you just as you walk in. But he loves you too much to leave you the way he found you. God is always doing a greater work. And now since I feel so anointed, come on somebody. Let's talk about the other sexual sins. Some of you say Jesus is Lord, but you're living with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend. And that's wrong. Oh, but we want to talk about the gays. (laughs) Hey, my Bible says, the message translation, there ain't no bing bing without the ring ring, baby. Come on somebody. That's just the word. Can I get an amen from somebody? People are sleeping around. Jesus is Lord and we're sleeping around. Live right. Get right. I did this like months ago. If you're in this room, you're listening online, and you're, you're living with and sleeping with, which I had somebody that we say, we're living together, but we ain't sleeping together. Well, now you're lying. Well, now you're lying. Come on. At least own it. Oh, she's taking a shower. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whatever. Listen, if, if you're involved in that, you know because you've got objective morality. So you know what's right and you know what's wrong. So instead of continuing to live in sin, I'll marry you today. I got my suit on, baby. Come on. And I'm dressed like a referee, so how about that? And we know what marriage is, and every marriage needs a good referee. So 
whatever. All right. Everybody good today, right? It's just the truth. How about this? How about the sin? And listen to me. How about the sin of racism? The sin of racism. And I'll say this to you. If you're racist, we love you. We're here for you. And I'm going to pray for you. And you know what? You're welcome here. But it is a sin. Here's our stance. Love for others and the recognition of the equal worth of all people in the sight of God. Acts 10.34, Acts 17.26. Should compel us to take steps to improve the situation of those who are underprivileged. This is a, a compilation of, of other challenges, societal and cultural. Uh, underprivileged, neglected, hungry, homeless, and victimized by prejudice, racism, persecution, and oppression. Matthew twenty two thirty nine, 39, Romans 13, 8 through 10, 1 John three seventeen. In all of our dealings, we must be sensitive to human needs. Luke 10, 30 through 37, James 1, 27, and guard against racial and even economic discrimination. Listen to me, watch this. If you love people, if you love God and you love people, it should break your heart when anyone dies. When anyone dies. Now this, is, this conversation is a challenge for me because I'm going to let you in on a huge secret. I'm white. I know some of y'all didn't know that. And I have the privilege of pastoring a beautifully diverse church. So as a Caucasian pastor, I, sometimes I don't know what to say and what not to say. And I, I don't want to say too much and look foolish, but I don't want to say too little and seem like I don't care. So here's what I know to do. I want to say to every one of my black and brown brothers and sisters, I don't know the pain you feel. I don't know the fear that you may live in. I'll never know that. But I refuse to make what this country is experiencing political. No, God called me to love people. And so it, I don't give two flying flips if you're red, yellow, black, white. You are my brother and you are my sister and I'm looking out for you. Come on. Let me say it like this. I got your back. I got your back. I got your back. And it breaks my heart. It grieves my heart at the lack of concern and care. How dare we, if we love God, and that is our objective morality, we not weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Now, I'm not a politician. I'm a pastor, and I don't ever intend to be a politician, although I think I could fix some things. <laughs> My God. I want to pastor our church in the ways of God and the love of God. And we love, at the end of the day, listen to me, we just love people. And we don't love them to death, we love them to life. It's a good place to pause and say amen, come on. So we got to value what God values. Here, here's the whole summary of the message. You got to value what God values. God values life, God values his design for life, and God values justice. God values life. He created it. So he alone gets to decide when it begins and when it ends. God values his design for life. 
in Genesis, it says that when God made everything, he looked at it and he said that it was good. That it was good. Okay? And God has a plan for every single person. For all people, God has a plan. He's got a design for your life. God didn't create you and then give you a purpose. God had a purpose and so he created you. You are alive on purpose and for purpose. And God values the design for life. And God values justice. God cares about the marginalized. God cares about the oppressed. God cares about those who have been affected by racial discrimination and the sin of racism. God cares about the broken and the lonely and the poor and the hungry and the orphans and the widows. Come on, church. So if these are the things that God values, then we should value those things too. Because if Jesus Christ is Lord, then we live according to his word. Can you just pause and give Jesus the best praise you've got? Come on. Come on, church. Thank you, Jesus. All campuses head bowed, eyes closed for a moment here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your word. And thank you for your truth. I pray that people would receive this according to the Spirit of God living within them. Open up us, Holy Spirit, to receive this, to process this. While there might be moments of disagreement and challenge, there should be no one here today, and I want you to listen to me before I'm done praying. There should be no one here today that hears hatred of any kind anger towards a specific group of people. There is none of that here. This message is preached out of love, to love you to life. Now you take it and you do whatever you need to do with it, but I believe that today in this moment, my work is done. So Holy Spirit, you are welcome here and we invite you to help us for those that have said yes to Jesus to build our lives on the rock so that when the winds and waves of culture come, we've built our life on a firm foundation. We don't get to move the needle of morals. You show us in your word what's right, what's wrong, and the desire for us to live in holiness. So we seal this word today. In the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who gave his life for us, and the Holy Spirit who lives within us. In Jesus' name we pray. And the whole church said amen and amen. Come on.